So I've been watching this documentary, and I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but but this documentary in particular got me excited. Uh, it's called The Last Dance, and it's a documentary based upon the, the 1997 and 98 Chicago Bulls team. And it's released footage that, that nobody had seen. So, so it's been let, like hidden away for like 20 years in this like vault or something. And uh, I grew up a huge Michael Jordan fan. And so when I heard about this documentary, I was really excited uh, to tune in and to watch this. And as I've been watching this, they've been releasing like two episodes every Sunday. Um, I've, I've been watching, and one of the things that has really stood out to me is, is not only the things that I had forgotten that, that had happened, that, that just over the, the long period of time I'd forgotten had happened with that team, but, but just seeing. Uh, seen the differences in the individual makeups of each player and how uh, there was such um, differences in personality and nature and, and even style of play. And yet um, there is this incredible team, one of the greatest teams ever assembled, and how they are able to come together and, and win and have incredible success, unified. And, and as I was watching this last Sunday, uh, it really struck me how unity does not mean sameness. And, and, and as we've been going through and walking through unity here in, in the book of Ephesians, as Paul is writing this letter, really establishing the church, what it looks like to be in Christ. Um, and, and, and he's been highlighting unity for us. And, and what a time to go through this passage as we think about the need, just even in our country, but in our, in our local churches for unity. Um, I, I was really reminded of that, that unity doesn't, doesn't look like everybody um, appearing the same. And uh, this last Christmas, not, not this Christmas, but the Christmas before, um, my mother-in-law sent our family uh, all, all of the same pajamas and asked us to take a picture together. So myself, my wife, our three boys all got in these pajamas. They're the exact same pajamas. And we took this picture together. And, and if you saw this picture, um, you know, that picture... It's hilarious because, one, we're all wearing pajamas together, but it looks cute, but it has no reflection of the actual unity of our family. We just look the same. And in fact, we're, I'm trying to actually hide in the picture that my newborn child was just crying and hating the pajamas, and I'm trying to hide it to look the part so that we look good and we look like we're the same. And, and when we think about church as a whole, many of us, have the same mindset. We go into church looking for everything to be the same, and we actually think that unity means we all need to have uh, exactly the same uh, mindset, the same look. Uh, we need to generally agree on everything, and if we do, and if, if, if we look in this certain way, then the church is going to be unified, but in reality, that's not the case, and that's not what we see in Scripture, and that's not Christ's intent for the church. So Paul moves from unity, and what we're going to look at, he moves from the unity of believers to the uniqueness of believers in their gifts, which doesn't mean abandoning unity. It actually is going to enhance the unity. See, our diverse roles and abilities, they enrich, they unify, and they bless the church. And, and Paul, in this passage here, provides one of the key passages on spiritual gifts in the New Testament. 
And before we go, before we go any deeper into this and, and read some of these verses, I want to bring some clarity here because uh, whenever you hear us talk about uh, spiritual gifts, it's important for you to understand, especially if you're brand new to faith, we're not talking about, when we say spiritual gifts, we're not talking about natural gifts, abilities, and talents, okay? What we're talking about is these spiritual gifts, these giftings that, that Christ gives to us through the Holy Spirit after we receive him as our Lord and Savior. In other words, these are gifts that are given that we did not have before. Now, he, it doesn't mean that my natural abilities or talents are useless. In fact, those can be used for God. And a lot of times with spiritual giftings, he takes and uses our natural abilities and, and then takes them and, and does something spiritual with them to take them to a level or a depth that they've never been before. And so he can use that. But what we're specifically talking about here is gifts that, that, that are given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit after you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And he gives us these different unique gifts for the building up of the body. It brings unity, but it's unique to each and every one of us. And these aren't natural. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, let's start. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he says, every believer has received grace. Now, this is not saving grace. This is ministry grace. It's grace to serve and build up the body. In Ephesians 3, 8, uh, Paul said, I don't know if you remember this, but he said grace was given that he might preach to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and we see here, grace is given to every believer to do ministry. Grace not only saves us, but it enables us. It enables us. And that's the sense of the term here, that, that it, it, it's not only grace that saves us, but it, it, it enables us. It, grace, it empowers us. It enables that power uh, to cause the special gifts that he's going to give us to function to the glory of God. And as a byproduct of receiving grace, and, and this is what's so important because grace is not something that I just receive and I hold on to. Grace, actually, as I receive it, it activates me. It brings action in my life. And what is unique about this text uh, compared to the others on gifts is its Christ-centered focus. See, Paul highlights, I don't know if you caught that, in verse, uh, in, in verse 7 there, he said what? Each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's highlighting Christ's generosity and Christ's authority here. So Jesus died, he rose and ascended into heaven as the victorious king, and he gave gifts to his people. And when you see gifts at work, uh, whenever you see uh, gifts at work, you should praise Jesus who gave them. So when you see gifts at work, that's from Jesus. You should praise Jesus. You shouldn't praise uh, a person uh, or a situation. You should praise Jesus. Uh, when someone's gifts bless you, when God uses uh, somebody else to bless you through the gifting that he has given them, that should cause you to glorify Jesus. God gives both the grace and the faith to energize whatever gift he gives to the full intent of his purpose. So each of us is given a specific gift 
or gifts through which we are to minister in Jesus' name. In 1 Peter uh, 4, verses 10-11, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we are all gifted. We are gifted according to his plan, his purpose, and it's according to his measure. Okay, and so, so it's not about us. It is all about him whatever spiritual gifts you may have. And the list of spiritual gifts that we see in the Bible uh, are in multiple places. In uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we see spiritual gifts. We see spiritual gifts in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. And, and then here in Ephesians 4, uh, 11, as we're going to look at in a minute, we see um, descriptions here. But, but the descriptions that we see of spiritual gifts, one, it's, it's a it's a high-level highlight of the gifts. It's not all these in, in depth of every single gift. And, and, and we see that it, it more than likely doesn't even uh, reflect all the giftings that are out there and the variations of the giftings uh, that, are, that are out there because we know that, that, that different giftings are given to different degrees and at, uh, they have different focuses within them, right? And different combinations of giftings. And so all of this is, is, is done uh, through the person and work of Jesus. And, and, and it's just so exciting to see and to be a part of, because even when you think about the gift of like uh, someone that, that, that has been given the gift of teaching, like there's so many uh, ways you can see that gift manifested and, and, and how God can bring that. Like whether it's, it's teaching to a, a large audience, a small audience, whether it's to a child or a, or a young adult or, or a middle schooler, uh, or whether it's a large group or maybe it's one-on-one -on -one teaching. But you can see even in that the variety and the combinations um, and, uh, of these giftings. And one of the things that's so important to see uh, throughout uh, you know, scripture. And when we look in particular in the New Testament and, uh, and believers being gifted is, you know, whether it's hospitality, administration, or evangelism, whatever it is, we are not assembly line produced, right? There's not just this lineup and the same robots just building us and, and we're all the same. No, uh, what we see in scripture is God has his own individualized plan for each of us, and he has individually gifted us accordingly to that plan. So every believer is strategic in God's plan with unique skills and responsibilities. Um, and and, and what, a, what an exciting thing to think about. When you think about the role you play, when you think about the calling and, 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 and that you bring something to the table, and, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about over the years, gifts that I've gotten and, and I've opened them up and, 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 and I've never used them, right? I think we've all, either whether it was Christmas or birthday, we've opened something up and we look at it and we just go, what in the world am I going to do with this? Um, I remember one year, um, I, I opened up a, a gift and I don't, know, I don't remember what it was for, but it was a, a floral decorated birdhouse. And I looked at it, and I just went, huh, 
I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Like, it's too nice to put outside. What do I do with this? And, uh, but I think we've all had gifts like that where we just, we open it. We go, well, what, what am I going to do with this? That is not what it's like with God's gifts. It's not. There's already a specific plan. There's a purpose. Uh, there's a timing component to it. And so there's nothing that you're going to receive from God that you just go, what am I going to do with this? Or what purpose is this going to serve? Or why do I have this right now? Like that's never a a thing with him. Verses 8 through 10, uh, it says this, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So before mentioning specific gifts, uh, he uses Psalm 68, 18 as a comparison passage to show how Christ received the right to bestow those gifts. Psalm 68 is a, is a victory hymn written by David. And, 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 and what we see is historically kings, uh, when they would win a battle, uh, they would bring home the spoils. Uh, they would bring home the enemy prisoners and, and they would come back to this massive parade and they would go down the main street there. And, and in the parade would, would, would be the king's own soldiers who he, who he had been, um, who he freed uh, that were being held prisoner by the enemy uh, army and all that. And, and so so when we look at this and we think about that, that victory hymn and that parade coming through, uh, this phrase when it, that it says, when he ascended on high, it depicts a triumphant Christ returning from battle on earth back into the glory of heaven with the trophies of his victory. See, in his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, death, and by that victory, he led captive a host of captives who once were prisoners of the enemy, but are now returned to the God that they belong to. See, this is a vivid picture um, that that God has, has people that right now do not believe in him, have not put their faith and hope and trust in him, uh, but they still, uh, they're his. Uh, they're just under, right now, that, that they're under like the world and, and, and they're under like Satan's uh, rule right now, but, but they're not going to remain there and they're not going to remain there because through the power of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, he's made a way to a relationship to himself, and so he's going to get those of his that are captive, those that are his. And so just, just as we look at uh, these, these, uh, these individuals, as, as, as we talked about here, uh, these, these individuals that were called recaptured captives, uh, when a king would come into the parade and, and they, he would have those of his, his soldiers that had been captured before and this, this picture of now he's captured them to bring them back the freedom that they had, we see this image of Jesus now through his victory. He, is, he has brought out those captives that are his. It reminds me of Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 10. The Lord uh, tells Paul to stay in Corinth and to preach there. And he says this in Acts 18, 10. He says, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And what he's saying is, I want you to stay there uh, because I can protect you 
And, and what he's also essentially uh, saying uh, there is, is, that, is that not only um, can I, I protect you, but there are people there that are mine, that I want you to get, that are in bondage right now, that through the gospel, they're going to respond. They're mine. They just don't know it yet. And so I want you to preach to them. And we see that after the Savior had ascended, he sent the Spirit who delivered his gifts to the church, not only for the foundation, but also the unity and the growth of the church. See, Paul sees the incarnation uh, the, the, of Jesus, that descent into humanity, that low of lows, right? The earth. And then he sees that ascension of Christ as evidence that Christ is Savior and King. He came all the way down, but has now gone all the way back up. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it talks about that humility that he lowered himself down to that point and then going back up that we've been, that we just read about. In verse 11 and 12, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Christ gave us gifts so that we would use them. We read that already in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, how he gave us these gifts so that we would utilize them, so that we would work them out. And, and these responsibilities are different for different believers, right? It's unique to each person. Uh, each of them has the same value to God, but they share different roles, just like a team. That, that you see, whether it's a sports team or even at work or, or, or things like that, anything that you're bringing people together um, and you, you see the value in different team members and different roles in order to achieve a specific purpose. And the church needs people playing different roles to be unified and to be effective. Paul mentions those in unique positions of foundational leadership in the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And what we see is Christ not only gives gifts to individual believers, but he also gives gifts to the total body, okay? So to each believer, he gives special gifts, and to the church, he gives gifted leaders. That's really important. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 28, we see that it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, administ uh, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And so he literally kicks it off, and we see this chronological significance in giving these gifted individuals to the church. Right? We see that. It said, First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So he, um, what, we, what we see here is he focuses on those gifted for the foundation of the church. Like, like you need to remember the context here. That's what's really important about this, okay? This isn't like today. This is, way, this is the, the inception. This is the building up. This is the foundation of the church, okay? It's brand new. 
All right, this isn't like, oh, there's another church over there. I grew up in the church or I know this about the church. This is like literally it's being formed. People have no idea what they're doing. They didn't have the New Testament at this point. Jesus is gone. He's ascended. And, and there's no church planting handbook, okay? <laughs> so, so, so literally, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's ground zero. What do we do? How does this start? And so uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ has sent gifts, gifted individuals, to be utilized during this significant time to found these churches. And the basic meaning, when we see the word apostle, the basic meaning of apostle is simply one sent on a mission. And in a generalized sense, that includes, right, all of us, if we're a Jesus follower. You know, in John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, right? So we are sent out. We know the great commission uh, going out and, and being sent. Um, but what we see here is apostle in a technical sense. And in a technical sense here, it's, it refers uh, to the 12. And the 12 now, remember, Judas is gone. He killed himself uh, after he sold out Jesus. And so uh, they replaced him with Matthias. And, 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 then, and then we have Paul as well, who is now considered one of the 12, uh, one of the apostles, because we read he was uniquely set apart as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so apostles, in this technical sense, they were direct, directly commissioned by Jesus himself to preach the word and to plant churches. They were men who had seen Christ in his resurrected state. They had the power to perform miracles as a means of confirming the message that they preached, okay, to validate it. Because you can imagine as they're going and they're spreading this new message and their skepticism and people have heard things, um, the, the power that they were able to use would validate the message of the power of God. And so along with prophets, their ministry was primarily focused on, we see, the foundation of the church. It was critical during this time, right? Ephesians 2.20, remember what we said there, or what we read? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we see these significant roles as the church is, 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 is becoming something here, as it's growing. And the term apostle, uh, we see also in a more generalized sense, we see other men uh, in the early church, such as Barnabas, Silas, and, and Timothy, and other, some other outstanding leaders also given uh, a title in a more generalized uh, sense. But then we go to uh, prophets. And, and when we look at prophets here, prophets were mouthpieces of God. They applied God's word to God's people, essentially. They received direct revelations from God and passed it on to the church, to individuals. And, and what they spoke by the Holy Spirit was the word of God. And they sometimes spoke revelation from God and sometimes they just simply expounded revelation that had already been given. See, it wasn't always a newly revealed message from God. Sometimes it was a timely reminder from God. Remember, they didn't have all these printed out copies and all this, and they didn't have to say, hey, go home and just read this section and all that. No, they needed the word of God, and, and they needed these prophets to tell them the will and, and the word of God and to remind them of things that we're reminded of every day when we open scripture and it speaks to us, and we're reminded of things that we've forgotten. They needed that. And how many times in your life have you just needed that from somebody else? Somebody maybe with this gift, and it's just a timely reminder 
of, of something that God wants you to know right now. Maybe it's a directional thing or just something you forgot and it, it reached you and it spoke to you. How important that was for you in your journey, in your life. And we see it happen through scripture and we see it happen in these situations. But we see men and women prophets throughout the Old Testament and also in the early church uh, in the New Testament here. And and it was such uh, an important foundational piece uh, to the church as people were hungry and seeking out the will and the words of God. We see uh, the term evangelist. Evangelist was to uh, this gifting. This, this person is to preach and to explain the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Okay, so evangelists are uniquely designed to reach the lost, people that are far from God that don't know God. They're uniquely gifted to be able to reach those people with the gospel. Now, everybody is called to evangelize, but some are uniquely gifted in this area from God. See, the term evangelist, it's, it's literally, it's only used here. It's used in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, in relation to uh, Philip, who is called an evangelist. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 5, uh, Timothy is told to do the work of an evangelist. And, and those are the only three times we see uh, this term in Scripture. But when you think about it in relation to the foundation and the beginning of the church, how important was this role? Because at the end of the day, what's bringing people in, right? It's evangelism. It's people that that are being reached with the message, whether it's one-on-one or in a group setting, and they're being reached by an evangelist. And so what do they do as a result? They need to grow. They need community. And so they're brought in. And so evangelists were critical when we think about that. And evangelism is critical uh, for us. Like when you think about this, uh, we, we, we shouldn't look at this and go, oh man, that was great. I'm, I'm glad they had that back then. Yeah, that was critical. Like they didn't have all these things. They didn't have, um, you know, ways to get your information out, whether it's social media, all these things. They didn't have that. So yeah, that was important. No, this is so critical today. And I just want to challenge you. If you have this gift, who are the people in your life right now that do not know Jesus that you are reaching out to, that you are using your gifting in? Because because I'm telling you right now, if you have this gift, you are designed and meant to be around people that are far from God, that don't know God. And one of the greatest dangers I see to people who have this gift is over time, they become insulated with other Jesus followers. But the reality is this gift calls you out. I know for myself, I am always asking, how am I using that gift? I'm always asking myself, am I purposely being around people that are far from God, that don't know God? Because if I'm not, I know that I am not utilizing the gifting that God has given me. The term shepherd here is, uh, that is used here is, is to be understood alongside uh, other, the other term uh, that we see for this is, would be like elder or overseer. And so we see these terms used interchangeably uh, here. Um, and, and, and that's a, a huge uh, topic in and of itself. Uh, but, we, but we see this term shepherd and, and the important role here, or we could, like I said, call it overseer or elder. And so let me read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, 
where it talks about this role of a shepherd. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Acts 20, 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to, to the care of, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So we see this role, this role of shepherd. Uh, We see uh, the flock here. And when we see flock uh, in these passages, it refers to the church. And so we see these shepherds, uh, these men that are given this task to oversee uh, the flock, to lead the church. And and, and what that role includes is they nurture, they feed uh, the the, the sheep, they they defend the sheep, they protect the sheep, they they know who the sheep are, they learn what they're going through, They, they they sacrifice for the sake of the flock. And when we look at just this role of shepherd, of, of elder, of overseer, there are high standards uh, and of, of qualifications for, uh, for this role. I mean, we, we, we can read about them in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And I would encourage you to check those out and to read those. But it's a, hu- it's a very high calling. The New Testament says that, that this man should be honored and respected. In this role, it's a role that, that deserves respect. In First Timothy or First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So, so in this role, the shepherd elder, they, they, these people need to be honored and respected. They're protecting, they're guarding, they're feeding the flock, they're caring for the flock. The imagery here of of the shepherd, it it applied to God in the Old Testament and as as he is the ultimate shepherd who cared for and protected his people. And we see leaders in the Old Testament at different times were also alluded to as shepherds. And and then in the New Testament, we see Jesus is the good shepherd, the the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Um, He is the ultimate shepherd. Senior pastor, if you want to call it that. And as we think of even that role of, like my role as lead pastor, I am just essentially an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. So the elder acts as a, as a caring and loving shepherd over the flock. But never in Scripture is that congregation or that flock called uh, that elder's flock or his, his flock or, or your flock. We, we see that, that believers are God's flock. Right? Remember in, in 1 Peter 5, 2, it said, shepherd the flock of God. In John uh, chapter 21, verse 16, it's interesting. He, he said, it says this, Jesus says, said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. So they're God's flock. It's his sheep and Based upon Hebrews 13, 17, we know that those in this role of shepherd, of elder, are going to give an account for how they led, how they stewarded the sheep of God that they were over. 
It's a huge calling. We see shepherd and teacher here linked, but it's more of an overlap. It's not just one gifting because uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, we, teachers are their own distinct gifting uh, there. And, and all shepherds, uh, part of that role is to teach, but not all teachers are shepherds. So if pastors and, uh, and teachers are the same person here, then by the same rule, uh, based upon uh, you know, the same rule of grammar, so are the apostles and prophets from Ephesians 2.20. So we see the difference here. Like Teachers are divinely empowered to explain what the Bible says, interpret what it means, and apply it to the hearts and the minds of the saints. So when we see these closely linked here together and we see the overall context of the foundation, the formation of the church, they are linked together here to emphasize their role in feeding and equipping God's flock with his word, which is huge, not only huge back then, but huge for us today especially as new people come in, especially as people that don't know anything about God, especially as they interact and and they go, what do I do? How do I learn? What does that look like? Then we see equipping, and equipping basically refers to being made fit or complete. The writer of of Hebrews used the term uh, in his closing uh, prayer uh, in, in Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, so, so as he uh, does his closing prayer, he prays for this and talks about the equipping that happens. And equipping, when we see this, equipping is leading Christians from, from, from literally sin to obedience to service and then to effectiveness. It brings a confidence that, 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 that happens, not a confidence in yourself, but a confidence in how you've been trained, trained by the word of God. I think many of us have had jobs that we started and we go, man, like our first day, and we go, I wasn't trained well for this. And I've had a couple uh, where, one, I was trained really well. I remember when I started working at, at FedEx a long time ago, I, I felt like I was ready to go. But then when I was uh, in high school and I started flipping burgers at a fast food place, I remember I wanted to stay away from the burger flipping side because I was, uh, I was afraid that I was going to burn all these burgers and all this and it was going to be a bad thing. And I remember they said, we want you on the grill. And I went, oh, no. And I remember immediately going, I should not be doing this. And uh, thankfully, they took me off the grill because I did what I feared I would do. I overcooked a whole bunch of burgers. And so um, I think we've all experienced uh, the reality that, man, I'm not ready for this. And so it is, as we see these leaders and these giftings, it is the role of them to equip the saints for the work. It's to equip them so they're empowered What an important role. What an important calling. And here's the thing that's so cool. God always equips the called. So it's not like that experience for the job. It's not like that experience when I step out in faith and go, God, what are you going to do? I don't feel equipped. You may feel like you're not equipped, but he's already equipped the called. Remember Ephesians 2.10, uh, what it said? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, it says, beforehand that we should walk in them. 
He's already prepared it. So whatever he's called you to do, he's equipped it to already happen. So you don't have to be like me at the fast food place on the grill for the first time. Like, no, when you step out into your gifting, when you, when you apply what you've learned, when, when, when you have been taught up and, and when you've been growing in the word of God and, and he activates you and you go out and you exercise that gifting within the framework of the local church, you are equipped to do whatever he's gonna call you to do. You're prepared, you're ready. And the reality is this, we all, have, we all have a task. We all have work that he has prepared and gifted us for. But the reality is, what, <laughs> what are you going to do with what God has given you? Because remember what I just read, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. What does it say? For good works. So he's created us uh, he, for good works to do something. He hasn't saved us by our good works, but he saved us so that then we could go do these incredible works. When, 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 when Jesus' followers give, when they work in various ministries within the church and they minister to one another, the body is edified, it's blessed, and we see it becomes built up. And building up refers to the building of a house. It was used figuratively of any sort of construction. It is the spiritual edification and development of the church. The body is built up in t- internally as all believers are nurtured to incredible service, this fruitful service through God's word. And as the church matures and learns scripture and is obedient to scripture, we see this incredible building up and this growth because you can't just take in and, and God's working, the Holy Spirit's prompting, and just neglect that. No, um, as you receive this grace, it activates you. And as he gives you these giftings, and, and, and as you start to operate that, it is incredible how he takes these unique things about each and every one of us, and in a way that only he can, he actually unifies us around those different giftings and completes us, and not only does he complete us, and not only are you already equipped to do that, but then he builds up the body. He builds it up. That's so exciting. And, and as a pastor, the opportunity to create, and to help create, uh, to help just like allow that to happen, not that I created it, Remember, we already read the Holy Spirit creates the unity, but I just got to like allow the Holy Spirit to do that. And, and so I, I sit here and I go, man, we got to continue to create opportunities for people to use and to leverage their giftings so that we can see incredible workings of God and we can see this church just continue to grow and take off in a way that doesn't reflect a leader, that doesn't reflect this person or doesn't reflect everybody looks the same, sounds the same, speaks the same thing. No, it reflects the diversity of God and it's a unified because of God, and then it's built up because of God. Amen. What a beautiful thought for our church. Let's pray.